All right. Today, we are going toe-to-toe with porn. That's right. The taboo subject of recorded sex. I have Tim Regal, an expert on porn addiction, on this episode. We are talking ways men and women can break free from the shackles that porn has in their souls. You know, not just that, but we also talk about how porn is literally your fingertips away. The access is easy enough through tablets, phones, computers, and because of that, it's reaching people at such a young age that they're having porn addiction issues before they're even 20 years old. It's crazy. And we dive right into it. We take it head on. And that highlights today's sponsor, which is PeacefulFathers.com. Now, porn and Peaceful Fathers, what do they have to do with each other? They have to do with the fact that they're taboo subjects. Nobody wants to talk about pornography. It's off limits. And because of that, people are suffering in the same sense that nobody wants to talk about corporal punishment and how we should no longer be hitting our kids. Yet Anthony Migliorino has taken that battle head on to the masses. You're not supposed to talk about not hitting your kids, and that's exactly why we talk about it. That's exactly why he's the sponsor of this show. It's exactly why I have Tim Regal on here, because we talk about the things that are off-limits to the rest of the world. Because when you make it off-limits, people don't heal. So Tim, the guest I have on this podcast, is going to help you heal when it comes to porn. And Anthony, through his writing at PeacefulFathers.com, as well as his social media accounts at PeacefulFathers, you will find the content that will help you heal, and we will tackle the subjects that nobody else is willing to face because they're weak. We take it head on in this podcast because that's what it's about. Taking the information, applying it, and fixing your life. Without another second wasted, let's dive into this discussion and help you break free from those pixels that have control over your life. Welcome to the Family Alpha Podcast. A place where men, families, and the truth have a voice. The information shared on this podcast is meant to be applied. Now, here's your host, Zach Small founder of thefamilyalpha.com and co-founder of thefraternityofexcellence.com. Let's get to work. Welcome back to another episode on the Family Alpha Podcast. As always, I am your host, Zachary Small, and today I am joined by Tim Regal. Tim runs the blog, intothewildernessblog.com. He's written the book, Power Over Porn, Seven Habits to Crush Temptation, And he created the course, Living Porn Free, 10 Steps to Recovery, Redemption, and Renewal. And as if you're not aware by now, today we're talking about porn, how to address if you have these signs and symptoms of porn addiction, and how you can overcome those things and how we can remove the taboo from the subject. So let's talk to the expert himself, Mr. Tim Regal. Tim, how are you doing, brother? I'm doing great, man. Happy Happy to be on, happy to be talking about this. Thank you for your time. I know you are a busy man. Something I didn't list is that you help coach men to get over this addiction and to deal with these things. You know, so before we dive into the topic of porn, you know, assessing, addressing, and then removing, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself for those who don't know? Sure. Well, I'll just give you kind of the brief of what my experience is with with porn and porn addiction, not just porn, porn addiction and sexual addiction. So um, I spent over 15 years uh, addicted to porn and sex, where I was watching porn probably almost every day um, and was just completely enveloped and enslaved by it. Uh, what started out as a teenage boy's curiosity, just like any other teenage boy that's just kind of, you know, coming of age and, and, and is curious, um, got into it to that way and just found out, hey, this is awesome. I, this This is fun. You know, I grew up in a, in a great home. I have great parents, great family, a Christian home. Um, in fact, I, I grew up in a pastor's home. My, my dad was a pastor and 
you know, I was always taught through through church and through things that kind of the big three you don't do is you don't drink, you don't smoke, and you don't have sex. Well, by the time I was 13, 14 years old, what do you think the three things I wanted to do most were? So I got into porn just, just discovering it and learning about sex because I was never really taught about it. And I just got completely hooked uh, from that point on. Um, had some other things happen in, in my teenage years and just rough teenage stuff like anybody goes through. But I learned that I could run to porn whenever I was dealing with anything. If I was dealing with stress or, 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 or relationships or girls or anything like that, porn was always there. It was always an escape. It was always made me feel better for a time, um, but it was always there. You know, I dealt with some feelings of rejection, not being good enough um, to where, you know, who, who, who am I and, 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 and what am I doing? And, and is that good enough? So porn to me, I was always good enough. I was always good looking enough. I was always great enough. Um, it never said no. It never turned me down. It always wanted me. So I just got completely, completely hooked and completely addicted to it. And porn addiction escalates. It escalated for me. Um, eventually porn, regular porn isn't enough. And we have to seek out more types of porn. And that's where it becomes the addiction, where we need more and more. But the problem is with porn, we don't just seek more. It's not like with a drug or alcohol addiction where you just take more drugs. With porn, you don't just watch the same video over and over again. You need more. You need new. You need different, novel. So that's where it escalates. So it went from just you know regular old porn into kinkier and dirtier and, and more fetish stuff and darker stuff. Then I made the jump to webcams and chat rooms. Um, I got married pretty young. I got married at 21, had kids young, kind of thought that would take care of it. And I would just grow up and grow out of it. And it didn't, it got worse. It got to the point where I was, um, even went beyond online and took it into the physical to where I was having hookups and meeting up with escorts and, and prostitutes. I was going to sex clubs, having threesomes, meeting up with people, strangers off Craigslist and, and Tinder and, and, God knows what. So that sort of behavior continued on and off then for, for 10, 15 years. Um, and, and while I was married, um, you know, had multiple, um, multiple, multiple hookups and, and threesomes and, and God knows what to the point. I, I can look at you right now and tell you, I have no idea how many women I've been with. No idea. Not a clue. And I got caught. I got caught plenty of times and like any good liar, I talked my way out of it and just got better at not getting caught each time. Uh, my wife and I separated for almost a year because of it. Um, we did end up getting back together, but then I, after a while I went back to the same behavior. So I would just continue in this cycle where I'd, I'd, I'd do well for a while, you know, maybe I'd even go six months or, or almost a year and not have any porn or any, any meetups or anything like that. And then it would, but it would always come crashing back down and I'd get caught and, and, you know, I'd do everything that I was supposed to. I'd go to counseling. I'd read all these books. I meet, meet with a pastor, you know, I do all these things and, and, and I try and it would work for a while, but I always, always went back. And that went on and on 
off and on until I was about 30. And the last time I got caught was, you know, about three and a half, four years ago. And I had had two really good friends of mine who were my best friends and they were kind of my accountability partners and would check up on me. Um, very close friends. And when they found out that last time they kind of washed their hands of me, they're like, we're done. And I haven't talked to them since. And that was the wake up call. And that's what, I don't know if it's rock bottom or the turning point or whatever, but that was the catalyst that got me to change, which in hindsight breaks my heart because it wasn't all the damage I did to my wife emotionally. It wasn't all the problems I caused in my family and almost ruining my marriage and almost splitting up my family and all the heartache and pain that I caused. None of that got me to change. What finally woke me up was losing the guys I go out for a beer with after work. The guys I go golfing with and go to baseball games with. Like that woke me up. I don't know why. I don't know why God used that, but that's what he did. So then I did get some serious help and I got some, some one-on-one mentoring and coaching. Um, you know, I read a couple of books that completely um, changed my perspective on it. Um, one of them was Your Brain on Porn um, by Gary Wilson, who sadly just passed away this week. Um, and the other one is a good friend of mine, um, Eddie Caparucci, who wrote a book, Going Deeper. And so what I realized through all of this, this and some of the one-on-one work that I was doing is it wasn't a sexual issue. One thing I say all the time is porn addiction is not about pleasure. Porn addiction is about pain. So I was treating porn addiction as I was just like I had a higher sex drive. I was just hornier than everybody else. It wasn't the case. I was using that to treat pain in my life, how how I dealt with negative emotions, how I dealt with wounds and things that I just couldn't cope with. Once I realized that, I was able to actually start making some change. Whereas before I was just treating the symptoms. I was just trying to change bad habits. You know, discipline isn't enough with porn addiction. Yes, you need discipline. Yes, you need to try hard. Yes, you need to work hard. But it's got to, you got to have healing of your heart too. You can't just willpower your way through this. You're going to fail every time. So that's where I got some realizations and was able to start doing that deep inner healing and, and work through some of those core issues that were causing the addiction. Um, so then I started to see some success and build momentum and, and, and just built up over time. And before you know it, I've gone a month and then three months and six months and a year. And I was like, holy crap, I've defeated this thing. Um, and then I got into, um, re kind of established my faith, got involved with my church. Um, I started playing on the, the praise team at church. I'm a musician. I play guitar and a couple other instruments. And through that, started working with some young men in the church, late teens, early 20s guys, and realized, man, this porn stuff is running rampant through that generation. So I started mentoring some of these young guys and just telling them, hey, guys, I've been there. This, and this is what I went through, and, and let's talk about it. So through that, kind of developed into doing some writing, and I shared my testimony and, and started blogging, started being active on Twitter, and it just kind of took off. And all of a sudden, I have dozens of guys DMing me and emailing me like, hey, I'm struggling with this too. Where, where do I start? Where do I go? I don't even know how to start here. So I started coaching 
um, and, and doing one-on-one -on -one coaching and just helping guys and working through it. And I, I wrote the book. And, and so that's what I do now is I, I do one-on-one -on -one coaching with men, guide them through, give them guidance, encouragement, accountability. I'll give them a swift kick in the ass if they need it and some tough love. Um, but guys are finally breaking free and, and they're finally ridding themselves of this addiction that's ruining their lives. You know, when I, when I hear all that, especially your transition from figuring yourself out to helping others, I can't help but think of all those who maybe now they're dealing with it, you know, or they're, they're starting to question their relationship. They're realizing maybe it's getting in the way of life. You mm -hmm. know, and there's, there's a shame associated with that, with, with even admitting you're addicted, you know, right. and I've shared publicly uh, my battle with booze and, you know, I'm coming up on a year sober and it, very similar to how you're feeling is I've helped other people. Now I'm seeing how rampant it is. So I'm talking about it a little more you know, but there is a shame associated with that. Mm -hmm. How were you able to go or how were you able to get over that shame from wanting to hide all the things you've been through? To like, Hey, here's my mm -hmm. story. Judge as you please. And now I can help people because now you can freely speak. Right. Well, some of it honestly was done to me. It wasn't me doing it. It was being exposed against my will. Um, and, and people found out about the, the sinful past that I had and had been trying to hide. Yeah, but you could have become um, a hermit if you wanted to. You could have been like, right. All right, I'm never going to talk again and I'm never going to be a public figure. Right. Well, I think what it was is, like you just say, giving back. And we started working with these young kids, I think was what did it. And when I started opening up to them, it kind of gave me the courage to open up to others. Like if I was able to stand in front of the church and admit, hey, I was addicted to porn, let me help you, um, that would get these kids to open up. Like if they can see that, that I'm dealing with it, that I'm not perfect, that I have skeletons in my closet, then they'll be able to come to somebody like me or one of the pastors or something and be able to open up about their struggles with it. I think that's a very important part of this, this puzzle that people are trying to solve that step right there. You know, they're either ashamed to admit it because they don't want to talk about it, but we speak frequently about leading by example. I believe that's what you're doing. Some people are going to hear your story. They're going to hear the intro to this podcast and be like, what the hell? Like that mm -hmm. dude did all that. And he, he's right. out here now helping others not do it. Well, who better to lead and have this discussion with than someone who, who went through the hell and climbed their way out? Someone that's lived right. it. You know, they say, you know, you can't relate to an addict unless you've been addicted. I, I agree that you can't fully understand why you don't touch the fire unless you've been burned mm -hmm. by it. You know, and I think in this situation, by sharing your story, you know, that gives you not just credibility, but relatability, like right. the men struggling with this. And, and from the onset, I want to share that I've never had this issue. I've had so many issues, but porn was never one of mine. So for whatever reason, I dodged that bullet. So having somebody like you on, man, it, it really helps offer more credibility to the discussion because you've been there, faced it, overcome it, and are now giving back. And you're not doing so you know how some politicians are like, don't do this, don't do that. And secretly they're doing it. Mm -hmm. This isn't a situation like that where you're, you right. got this going behind the scenes. I know this because you're inside the fraternity of excellence. We have a lot of conversations. I know you on a personal level and we've met we've shaken hands, broken bread. You know, there's, there's something to be said about looking the man in the eye and understanding who he is. So right. from that angle, I can vouch for your reputation, but now I want to go back to that original point yeah. when it comes to the shame. And when it comes to step one and the dudes listening to this, you know, how do they start? How do you, who do you turn to? How do you have that discussion of like, mm -hmm. Hey, I'm addicted to looking at people have sex online and Hey, mm -hmm. I've got some fucking crazy fetishes now because I've, 
cross that first threshold and I'm a few layers up. Who do you talk to about that? You know, because most people be like, dude, don't don't bring that shit over here. These guys are alone. So they're listening to this podcast. What's your advice? Right. The first thing I think is realizing you can't do this on your own. You you can't defeat porn addiction on the own on your own. Guys have to realize that they need help. They need guidance. They need to that first step in healing is reaching out for help, saying, I can't do this alone. Because so many guys try to do that. They try to hide it for years. They try to defeat it on their own. And they hope that it'll just go away and no one will ever know. I hoped, I wish that. That's what I tried to do for so long. It wasn't until I opened up and said, hey, I'm struggling with this. I need help that I was actually able to get the help. And they have to, to, they have to trust the person that they're opening up to. And that's where I think somebody like me as a coach comes in. You know, I don't have a bunch of degrees on my wall or a bunch of letters behind my last name. You know, I'm a funeral director. I bury dead people for a living. Like, you know, I'm not a shrink. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I'm just a brother who's been through the darkness and made it out on the other side into the light. And now I'm turning around and pulling other people out of that darkness. And I think people can relate to that. And that's why they feel comfortable talking to somebody like me. And that's some of why I continue to be so open, even when there's still times where I don't want to air out my dirty laundry and my, my horrible past. But I've come to the realization that I need to, if I want to help other men come out of that darkness and break, break out of this addiction, that I need to open up. So if they feel comfortable and feel trustworthy, then they're going to open up. And that's when they can get started, when they realize they need help and they can confide in someone that they know and trust. You know, from my limited interactions with individuals dealing specifically with this, I've realized that there's no demographic that it's hitting harder from my perspective. You know, with I, I, single men, they're addicted. Married men, they're addicted. Right. When I say addicted, these men are telling me that it's their wife will go to the grocery store and the first thing they do is grab their phone, take off to the room, handle some business, then come back, then do, go about their day. Mm-hmm. They don't even know why they're doing it. Right. You know, and, and a lot of these single guys, they say it's because it's it's too difficult to find a woman and then get with a woman. And they play the card of, you know, with the Me Too and the, the false rape. And they play right. a lot of these things saying dating's hard nowadays, you know, and you're always afraid of getting in trouble. And I think that's a crutch. There, there's a separate discussion to be had on, you know, men and women dating and what's going on in the world with political correctness and whatnot. But I view that to be a crutch in the sense that these guys are just, it's easier. It's just a lot easier to grab your phone, man, grab your tablet, grab your laptop. And it's one of the most primal urges. I mean, you look at caveman drawings and there's sex, you know, Mm -hmm. from from the beginning of time, we've been down for sex. Sex is great. And with 2021, I see this becoming much more of an issue with virtual reality. Uh, We have OnlyFans, we have webcams, we have infinite access to infinite videos. You can't find a threshold. Do you see any, or have you come across any set group being hit harder than others? And yes and no. It, it, it like you say, it does span demographics. The guys I coach range from nineteen to sixty-seven. Um, married, single, divorced, um, rich, poor, black, white. You know, every, every every demographic under the sun you can imagine. Everyone's addicted um, to porn. <laughs> everyone's addicted to porn, dude. It is. I will say. It is probably worse amongst the younger generations. 
Um, and the reason for that is I just think they're, it's so much more easily accessible to them. Whereas the guys that are in their forties, fifties, sixties, they started out with, you know, their dad's playboy that they found under the bed, you know, or, or had to go behind the, you know, the creepy beaded curtain at the video rental store in the eighties. Um, these young kids were giving nine, 10, 11 year old kids, a smartphone with access to every type of imaginable porn that they can imagine and thinking that's okay. And so they're getting exposed to porn at such a young age and they're getting hooked on it at such a young age that it, it's, it's setting up the bar for them to just have a lifetime of addiction. So it, it does span demographics, but I've seen it in the generation younger than, than, than us. I will say the kids that are, you know, 12 years old to 25 years old now, um, it, it is becoming a lot worse. Um, some of the effects you're seeing of that is, um, a lot of these kids and they're kids, they're 19, 20, 21 years old. Can't get an erection without watching porn. Like when I was that age, I'd pop a boner, you know, <laughs> went over whatever, you know, <laughs> You know, and, and these kids can't do it because they've desensitized their brain so much by watching so much porn that it takes something different, new and exciting and extreme often in order to get that same arousal. And the reason I can tell you this, pay attention to the ED ads these days, to the hymns ads, to the Roman ads. Check out the guys in the commercials. They're not the 70 year old Hugh Hefners of the Viagra commercials 10 years ago. Whoa. I, I had they're 20 something year old dudes. I saw my first Roman commercial. I had no idea what it was. It came yeah. on and it was that dude. I thought he was like a Spartan race guy. Like he looks like a lean runner. Yep. You know, but he was young. And then I was like, wait, yeah. what the fuck? This is a an ED yeah. ad. I, I hadn't put that together. That's an excellent observation, man. Yeah. Those those guys, they're not having medical problems that they can't get an erection. They're at the, should be at their prime virility. They're having trouble getting erection because they've watched so much porn. They've rewired, literally rewired their brain. What actually the dopamine actually creates new neural pathways in the brain, changes the, the, the um, structure of your brain to crave that so much that they can't even get it up with a real woman. They're going to have sex with their wives or their girlfriends and can't get it up. So that's the damage that it's doing in the, and especially these young men that they're, they're having, there's physical problems. Yes. It's not just a porn addiction. Isn't just a prude Christian problem. It's not just a bunch of stuck up, you know, uh, you know, old fashioned um, old timer Christians that are against porn. Guys are starting to see the damage it's having. Obviously, damage to relationships, to marriages, but it's dealing with um, emotional issues. You know, I, I say all the time, anxiety and depression are both the cause of and symptom of porn addiction. So guys are depressed, they're anxious, so they're running away to porn to deal with those emotions that they can't deal with and to deal with that stress and that tension. Yeah, they feel good for 30 seconds and then, you know, a few minutes later, they realize they're sitting alone with their dick in their hand alone. Which exacts they're not any better off. And then it just creates this vicious, vicious cycle that just continues on and on and they can't get out of it. 
And why is this takes... not a national discussion? Why is this not? I mean, is this still too taboo, even though we've got Roman commercials with these young men? Why is the topic well, not being broached? I think there's two sides to that. I think one side of it is still it's taboo, um, especially among the more the conservative, the conservative side, the the Christian side, um, the traditional side like that. It, it's still taboo. Um, churches do not talk about porn and sex enough. And I think the church holds some responsibility for this epidemic as well, because while they've rightfully so, I believe pushed abstinence, waiting sex till marriage. That's what the Bible says. That's what I believe. I believe that's the way God intended sex to be. But we can't stop there. We can't just tell these kids, don't have sex, don't have sex, don't have sex, and not teach them anything else about sex. Because then, like me, they discover porn at 13 years old, and they'll be like, this is awesome. You know, why are they telling me that this is terrible? This is great. This is fun. It's exciting. It's adventurous. It feels awesome. We have to do better and we have to be able to talk about it. Um, it, It's when the numbers are astronomical amongst men in general, especially young men, and the numbers are exactly the same amongst Christian men as non-Christian men. So the church and evangelicalism and, and the church and Christianity as a whole has to do better about talking about sex. Yes, there's still that taboo nature. That's something that's kept in the home, that's kept you know, within the family and we have to do better because kids are, are seeing it everywhere else. You know, they're, they're seeing it in school. Their friends are showing it to them on their phones. Um, you know, they're seeing it on TV and the internet, Instagram and TikTok are nothing but funnels for porn anymore. You know, the, these models are on there and they, they act like it isn't porn because they ain't showing nudity bull it's porn and it put and it's designed to get you onto the other sites. So these kids are getting exposed to it. So they're going to get, they're going to see it and they're going to watch it whether you like it or not. So we need to do a better job of educating them about it. Teach them about the dangers of porn. You know, I bet if you tell a 14, 15 year old kid that if they keep watching porn, their dick isn't going to work. That's going to wake them up a little bit. So we have to be better about education. So I think, yes, taboo nature of it is one thing that it's not talked about. I think there's another reason that's on a complete polar end of the spectrum from that. And that is the whole deviant sexual culture that we've gotten into that promotes pornography as being healthy. So you got one end of the spectrum that it's so sinful and so bad, you don't ever talk about it. And you got the other end of the spectrum that it's so good, we don't want to admit that it's actually bad. And so you see all these things now where all these people are coming out about it, you know, porn is healthy and porn reduces aggression in men so that they're not beating their wives and it's reducing toxic masculinity because it's keeping them more calm and things. It's not healthy. There's no ethical porn. Um, you know, they say a lot of this stuff about porn is, is empowering to women now, you know, they, how they take stuff and turn it around, you know, something that's supposed to be bad and they turn it around and say it's empowering, you know, you see the stuff about the um, sex trafficking, about the, the rape and abuse that happens in the porn industry. It's mind boggling. So I think that side doesn't want to admit that it's doing damage because they're pushing this whole deviant sexual culture and pushing it on our kids that they don't want to admit that it's a problem. 
Do you think that it runs so rampant that it's impacting anybody that would give a shit? And what I mean by that is the parents who would be the ones protecting and educating their kids about the, the issues or bringing it up in church, they're hooked themselves. So we don't even have like a, a wall of fathers who can stand the line. You know, you talk about pedophilia and dudes will get their shotguns out. They're ready. To, like right. Nobody's going to touch because it's almost like that's universally understood as an evil. But when it comes to porn, those same dads are like, well, you know, every now and then I'm watching it. Well, what do you, what the fuck? You know, why, right. why are we allowing certain evils to come in and not others? Do you think that's right. a part of this issue as well Is that the voices are hooked themselves? Yeah. I mean, it, it, when you do honest studies, it's hard to find a control group, <laughs> you know? And, and I think a lot, yeah, I, you know, a lot of, a lot of men aren't, um, standing holding the line with their sons because they're addicted just as addicted as them and don't want to admit it it's like you have the porn it's like anybody throw a rock you know but anybody you know the first one without sin to throw the rock so whoever's not watching porn go ahead and hit the porn we'll kill it right now and everybody's just standing there with rocks in their hand Mm -hmm. and it's you know metaphoric rock (laughs) you know but and everybody's scared to be the one to open up and just be, yeah, you use that example of let, let he use without sin cast the first stone. Um, you know, where that comes from, it, it's interesting you bring that up because that comes from, from the gospel of John where there was a woman caught in adultery and they were going to stone her. They were going to we go. <laughs> and, and, and Jesus said, let he is without sin cast the first stone. And everybody around them, one by one, interestingly enough, starting with the oldest, drop their stones. And that's what it's going to take. It's going to take men who have been through it admitting that they're not perfect, that they struggle with this too. And we're not going to condemn. We're not going to pretend, pretend like our shit don't stink. It's going to be like, yeah, I'm struggling too. Let me reach out my hand and help you younger guys. That's what it's going to take. You know, the school isn't going to do it. Society isn't going to do it. They're going to keep pushing all this deviant sexual behavior on them. It's going to take men who are willing to be leaders in their homes and their families and their churches who are willing to swallow their pride and say, yes, I struggle with this. I want help and I want to help others. And so for those men and they're, you know, it's the family alpha. A lot of my demographic are followers and their family men, you know, they, they are looking to make a difference and that's why they're listening. Mm -hmm. Where does that conversation start? Is that going to the pastor? Is that, speaking up and I'm not, I don't go to church, so I have no idea how the layouts are, but you know, where do they begin? You can't just roll and kick the doors down to the school and say, all right, guys, you like, I don't like what's going on here. Your health education Mm -hmm. has turned into just watching porn and say, all right, there's a dick, there's a vagina. Look at sex. Right. You know, so how do these men, and you know, maybe I'm asking for myself a little bit too, Mm -hmm. you know, the conversation to be had, maybe at a grander scale, I'm doing it on this podcast for this reason. I want to bring more awareness to this. You know, but this corporal punishment, very rarely do I see a wall of support come from these or come to, you know, aid these and boost them because they're very taboo subjects. You know, people don't like when I say don't hit your kids. People don't like when I say, you know, porn is not good for men. It's not good for the development of men. You know, so how do we overcome that? Because we're on our own. Where would you advise these men to begin? I think it starts with with the one-on-one relationships. I think it starts small scale and then grows to the big scale. That's kind of what happened with me. It started in my own healing. It started 
with somebody coming around and, and putting their arm around my shoulder and saying, I love you, brother. Let's get through this together. And that's what I in turn switched and started doing to other men. And then I was able to get a group of guys and okay, let's get together uh, once every week or once every two weeks and talk about this. It's okay. We got this good group. All right, let's go to the church as a whole. And that's what we did. We said, we're a group of men. We're willing to admit we have this problem. We want other men who have this problem to come and let's, let's work on this together. So you kind of build it from the ground up, but I think the root of it is in the one-on-one relationships. We need brotherhood. We need men who are willing to call us out on our crap. In, in my book, I use the story of the prophet Nathan. So we all know the story of King David and Bathsheba, where he saw her bathing on the roof, had her over, had sex with her. She got pregnant. He had her husband killed to, to cover it up. We all know that story. The very next chapter, we don't know much about. A lot of people don't know much about. And that's where this prophet Nathan came and called David out for his sin. You know, laid it all out and said, you're sinning, you messed up. And that was risky to do. You know, he could have had him beheaded in a heartbeat. But he needed a brother to come and love him enough to tell him that he's screwing up and not just condemn him because that's what we've done. A lot of times we've done too much of, especially the church, is just condemn the person and not love them. Yes, you should condemn sin where it needs to be condemned and call that out. But you also need to reach out that hand to your brother and be like, I get it. I'm going to help you through this. And so that's what we need. We need to find that Nathan who will come and support us, who will love us, who will encourage us and keep us on the right path, push us forward. They might show some tough love. They might smack you in the back of the head when you need it. But they care about you and love you enough to be there and support you. That's where it starts. And that's what I try to be for the guys that I coach. I'm, I'm, like I said before, I'm not a shrink or a you know, professional, whatever. I'm just a brother who's been through it and I'm here for you. And that's what you need. And just build up from there. Once you get to that point, then you can start doing the same for somebody else and build up a group, then build up a, a, a community of men who are willing to address this issue head on. You know, it's difficult, but it's absolutely necessary. You know, especially when absolutely. we talk about what it is we do is like somebody has to be the light, you know, and there's not many willing to carry this torch. And with that, you know, I have to ask, how do you keep yourself hungry on this? You know, like sometimes when I dive into the my anti-porn research, it's like you, you read the stories about the trafficking, the, uh, the mm-hmm. underage girls like, dude, it literally makes me nauseous. Like there's sure. like an anger and like a, a sickness inside me. And I'm just like, we're not. We're not doing shit. We're having this mm-hmm. conversation now. I know you've worked with, with hundreds of men on their issues and getting them to better places. And that's a beautiful thing you're doing. But how do you keep yourself focused on the positives and not on the fact that this is a fucking multi-million, if not billion dollar industry you're up against? Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've made this my, my mission. This is the hill? This, this is my, my battle to fight. This is my mission field. Uh, it's, it's not a mission field I would have ever picked. You know, if you'd have told me hell two years ago that I'd be on here talking to you about, about my porn addiction, you know, I thought you were nuts, but I think I went through what I went through for a reason. I'm, I'm a strong man of faith. I believe that God brought me through that so that he could use me, use my story of redemption and recovery to help other men. 
So I see this as my mission. I see this as a ministry. Yes, it's something I do um, as a living. It's something I do that I make money doing, but that's not the reason I'm doing this. I'm doing this because I have a passion for helping men, and I feel like I can show them and help them break free from these bonds of addiction. And if I can show them the light and the love of Jesus at the same time, then that's my mission and that's my calling. That's well said. You know, and the conviction in your voice, I enjoy it. You know, I'm someone that also, the heart's on the sleeve, man. Mm -hmm. I'm very passionate about what I do and why I do it. And it's good to hear from you that same, you know, fire, that same like, Mm -hmm. it's like an energy, you know, and it's, you can't fake it, you know, it's there, it's not. And it's there for you, obviously. And dude, I I absolutely, I I would love to see you like mainstream, you know, news outlets and all these things, because (laughs) I do believe it has to be a national discussion. You know, yeah. and I, I think for some, they might view themselves as A, being too far gone or B, well, it's not that big of a deal yet. You mm-hmm. know, and for them, I certainly hope they understand that this, like alcohol, and that's sort of my reference to this, is very few people are drinking less than when they started. It's like you need right. more and you need more. And so that's great. It's not interfering now. But how many times have you rubbed one out and all of a sudden the wife surprises you with wanting sex and you're like, oh, shit, you know, I mm-hmm. emptied the tank. Or right. like, oh, you know, we, we haven't had sex in forever and it's my wife's fault. We have a dead bedroom. Right. Dude, you know, 31. So I, my 31 day uh, program, 31 days to masculinity, that program has saved more dead bedrooms because it removes porn. Right. They remove you. Ha- you cannot be watching porn, you know, and once guys get rid of that after that week of buildup and they're like, all right, I don't I want to make it through the program. I'm not going to watch porn. Well, I guess I'm gonna have sex with my wife, and all of a sudden, mm-hmm. it, the fire's right back. Right. So I don't think many of these men out there are too far gone. I think they just have to stick with it and make it past that first one, two, three waves of urges that come on. Yeah. Through the men that you've worked with, is that your experience? That this is—is is this the type of thing where there's a lot of relapses, like alcohol, or do you kind of make it through the first time and boom, you're golden and just stay away? It, it, in some ways, it's different for everyone. Um, you know, in thir- speaking of 31 DTM. That was one of the catalysts that sparked me. You know, I went through that book. I, I just knew you as a guy on Twitter and, I, and, 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 and bought the book then. And that was that kind of jump started some of me. Getting that 31 days without porn and getting that 31 days in really jump started me. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I took that in the summer of 2018. Summer of 2018. And I still got the old version too, the real thick one. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> The real thick one here, but um, yeah, that really jump started and really got me going uh, on this. And and yeah, re- did rekindle um, things in the bedroom. As far as relapses, I pretty much tell every guy I coach, you are going to relapse. You're going to relapse. I don't know anybody that's quit cold turkey. Not that it can't happen. Not that God can't perform miracles, but it doesn't happen. And that's okay. Failure is only failure if you fail to learn from it. And so we have to use relapses to learn. We have to retrace our steps. That's one of the things I do with a lot of guys is I, I tell them to go back and examine their relapse and what can you learn from it. In the book, I talk about um, what's called a left a bang exercise. Um, I know it's used a lot in the military where you kind of retrace kind of like an after action thing. You retrace back you know, from when shots started firing, you know, you go back farther and see where things started. We'll do the same thing. 
okay, I relapsed. I was in bed and, and pulled up porn on my phone and, and jerked off. Okay, well, what were you doing right before that? What were you doing right before that? What time of day was it? Where was you? Were you home alone? What were you feeling? Were you angry? Were you sad? Were you pissed off? Were you stressed? You know, and just go back and back and back farther until you can identify what some of those triggers are. We have to start shifting our mindset from the negative to the positive. So instead of focusing so much on how many times I relapsed, oh, I went two weeks and then I, then I went back to day zero. No, you didn't. You had two weeks of success in one slip up. That's a 900 something batting average. And that's the way we have to think is every progress, every step forward is progress. And yeah, there might be a step back, but two steps forward, one step back is still moving forward. And that's a mindset shift that has to take is focus on the victories. And then once you start doing that, and then you start building some momentum, you start seeing, oh, I've made it, you know, a few days here and haven't had any slip ups. Yeah, I might have had a little little setback here, but I was successful more times than I lost. When, when, when faced with that temptation, I came out on top more times than I fell backwards. And that's the mindset shift that we have to have to make that progress. Well, speaking of the mindset shift, what are the other benefits to dropping porn? You know, I, I think one of the greatest, and again, this is this is just me spitballing and, and the few guys I've mm-hmm. worked with, you've done much more work, but from what I've seen is time, you know, you, you're no longer sitting there running to hide somewhere and scroll, right. scroll, scroll for the perfect video and the perfect scene. And then from that also confidence, you know, somebody spoke to me and they're like, you know, I'm addicted to porn and you know, I, I'm, I'm also insecure. And I'm like, well, I don't think these are two separate things. You know, right. I, my wife and I, we have a great, you know, sexual relationship when we're out and I'm standing there, I do the things a good man does. I work mm-hmm. out. I'm, I have a good time with my kids. I leave my wife, you know, like all the things we do in FOE. But when I'm out in public, I don't have any of the, the bad habits eating away at the back of my head when I'm like, when I'm with you, we're sitting there, we're hanging mm-hmm. out. You and I are both good to go. You're bringing a third guy though. He jerked off that morning. He ate shitty food and you know, he yelled at his wife and he's at the table. Well, why are you guys so confident? Well, we're doing what confident men do because we have a good day. There's nothing to hide. Mm -hmm. I think when you get rid of porn, you eliminate a huge time sink and you also eliminate a huge confidence vampire that makes you like, everybody knows the dirty thing I did. Everybody knows that Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm looking at these things. What else though? You know, what do you see these benefits come to the men who they finally break free from those pixels? Right. Yeah, they, they certainly it's a time killer. It's a money killer. Um, it is a emotion killer, too. Like I already talked about how it, it it doesn't it's not a stress relief. It causes stress. It doesn't alleviate depression and anxiety. It causes additional depression and anxiety. So you like that. You'll see they'll start getting getting some of their mojo back. They'll start feeling more confident. They start feeling happier. They're, they're more energetic. They're more motivated. They're more determined to go out and do other positive things in their life. You know, they're not just wasting away, sitting inside, jerking off. They're, they're getting up and they're, they're getting determined and getting motivated to do it. Um, one of the best things you see is, you already mentioned it, bringing life back to a marriage. One of the things I say a lot, is sexless marriages don't cause porn addiction. Porn addiction causes sexless marriages. 
you have a lot of great one-liners just so you know <laughs> like that that's a really good one i'm definitely going to use that i'll give you credit though yeah you know i i think the whole you know my wife doesn't want to have sex with me so i'm going to go watch porn argument is bullshit you know if, if you were the husband you're supposed to be and you're leading your wife you're leading your home you have a mission and you're doing the things you're supposed to be doing as a man your wife will be there for you sexually but so many guys are so hooked on porn that they would rather watch porn than have real sex with their wives. And so when you eliminate that, can you get that sexual relationship back? You get that, that, that intimacy back with your wife. That's one of the biggest things about porn. Porn has a lot more to do with intimacy than it has to do with sex. And we as a society have equated intimacy with sex. Sex is a part of intimacy, but it is not all of intimacy. So we think that we'll get, by getting sex, we'll get the intimacy. And that's really what we're looking for. And then you lose that when you're not having sex with your wife. Besides the fact that how is your wife going to measure up when you're looking at these hot models all the time? Yeah, no matter how good looking your wife is, if, if you can get a new girl every 30 seconds on porn, how's she going to measure up? You're not going to be attracted to her. And that's why you can't get it up with her because you're used to having all these women at, at the, on your phone instantaneously. So when you can break free from that and you can rekindle that desire in your marriage, that's going to have exponential effects. It's going to improve your relationship, for one, it's going to improve the intimacy between you. It's going to improve the way you communicate. It's going to improve your happiness and the joy you find in your family. And that's going to have trickle-down effects to your kids, too. So improving marital sex is one of, one, of the, one of the best things to come from it. Another thing is just having freedom, not being captive to something. And, and it's men today are so held captive by their, by immediate gratification, whether it's porn, whether it's sex, whether it's booze, whether it's drugs, whether it's video games or junk food, whatever it is, we're held captive by immediate and instant gratification. So we have to break free from those. We have to break free from these chains. And once men feel free, then man, you feel like you can do anything. You know, it, it, breaking free from porn isn't a superpower. You know, not doing something you shouldn't do in the first place isn't a, isn't a superpower. But when you finally break free from it, it sure hell does feel like it's a superpower because you feel like you can do anything. You know, as I'm listening to this, it, it made me think of like WWE when I was a kid, like this is real. And then you grow <laughs> up and you're like, this is not real. <laughs> this is definitely yeah. scripted. And these are these moves are not really doing them. So right. I actually you, made that comparison the other day that, you know, pro wrestling and porn are just two people pretending for the benefit of weak men. Dude, yes, that's exactly <laughs> where I was going with that. I I could not have said that better. It's yeah. it's an act, you know. Have you had to deal with men who aren't aware of that or 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 they think that what you see in porn is how you should have sex with your wife? You should have uh, doggy, then missionary, then, then right. every position, blah, blah, blah. And then if she doesn't take a facial, she doesn't love you. 
you know, or, or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've seen that. And I think that's especially worse than the younger generation, especially all of these young guys that are getting addicted to porn before they've even had sex. And they think that is sex, you know, that they is don't sex. Know. Yeah. They think that's, that's interesting, what it man. is. And, and again, this is why I really wanted to have this conversation. I'd never even thought of that. They, they mm -hmm. don't even know what sex is except for what they've seen. And that's right. not sex. Right. Right. And the other, th and on the other end of that, I think the older men think that they will be the, the acting out and doing the more extreme stuff that they see in porn will satisfy them. And it doesn't, it doesn't, they think, Oh, if I just try that, that'll be enough. And I'll be sexually satisfied. You know, if I can just have that threesome, have that, you know, and I felt that way too. You know, I always felt, you know, one, one more hot hookup and then I'll be done. I'll be satisfied. You know, Oh, if I could just try that. Oh, I'll, then that'll be enough. And it's never enough. And that's why it gets so bad and why it escalates so much because you just keep pushing that boundary farther and farther and farther. And it's never enough. There is no amount of porn and sex in the world that will ever fill the void in your heart that you're trying to fill. Because it's not a sexual issue that you're trying to fill. Porn addiction has nothing to do with sex. Porn addiction, like I said earlier, has to do with pain. There's something that you're running away from. There's something that you're trying to cope with or deal with that you just can't handle. Maybe it was something extreme, like, like major trauma or abuse, sexual abuse. A lot of the guys I work with are, have been abused. You know, maybe it's something more subtle, like it was with me. I didn't have any abuse or anything like that, but I dealt with rejection. I dealt with fear of not being good enough. Um, you know, I, you know, struggling with, with, you know, just stuff teenage dudes go through. It wasn't anything major, but I never dealt with it. I never learned how to deal with it. I learned to cope with it by running away to porn. That's how I dealt with negative emotions. But that's not what I was, it, that's not what's going to fill that hole in my heart. So trying to fill, fill that need with porn will never, ever be enough. And that's why we keep searching and keep going and, and it gets so down to these dark places and we're constantly searching for hope and we're never going to find it there. So you've got to peel back those layers and that's what it takes. We got to peel off all those, those years and years and years of, of soaked band-aids to get to what the core issue is. And that's hard to do. And that's why so many guys relapse because you start peeling back those layers and exposing those emotional wounds you, and then take away the thing that everyone used to treat those emotional wounds, porn. That's hard. And that's why relapse is so common because when you felt those things, you used to run away and use porn to treat it. Now you don't. So that's what it takes is dealing with those core issues and learning how to deal with figuring out what is causing the addiction and deal with that and learn how to deal with that in a healthy way. Um, I use the example a lot of uh, like an alcoholic. An alcoholic can pour all their booze down the drain. That may take away that opportunity to drink, but it doesn't take away the urge to drink. It doesn't take away why they drink and what they're trying to do to escape from. It's the same thing with porn. You can delete all your stash. You can get rid of your computer. You can do whatever you need to do. And sometimes you need to do those things. But until you deal with the heart issue, you're never going to find healing. You know, obviously addiction is addiction. And mm -hmm. so therefore I'm comparing it to what I know. And that, I'm glad you brought up booze because that's sort of what I was going to segue into in that 
with alcohol, you know, there's that whole, I'll, I'll just never drink again. Like mm-hmm. if I had one, I had to have 10. There was no yeah. moderation there. And you could say that has control over you, whatever, you know, sobriety isn't solving it. Well, for me, it's sort of twofold. You know, I, I hit the point for me where sobriety was the answer, but in the sobriety, I found more of the problems that I could heal, you know, and, and but I had to get sober to even see them. I was too blurry to see what the issues right. were, you know, right. and in that I, I saw that alcohol is just a net negative. You know, there was no positive use for me and and we've hung out. You've seen, you know, I've been around gents. They drink. It doesn't phase me at all. It doesn't, it's yeah. no longer a thing. And what's interesting is as you were talking about that, I was thinking about porn and sex and it's not like I don't drink alcohol, but I can go and have drinks of, of something that's alcoholic. Like that's just not, that's, that's not how that works. But when you get rid of porn and then you have sex, you're doing the thing that you're no longer watching. And so there's, there's a little bit of, there's something there that is interesting to me. So have you had issues with men who dropped the porn, but then were afraid to have sex or were afraid to go there? Cause they were afraid having sex with this woman might send me back to my addiction because now I'm mm-hmm. back with sex and all of a sudden I'm beaten off, you know, 50 times after having sex that one time. Right. Some, I haven't seen that a lot. And I think the difference is, like I've said, porn isn't a sexual issue. You know, it, it, it's, 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 it's a coping mechanism. It's self-medication. So having that sex is actually the good medication. That's what we should be doing. And that's, and, and having, especially having intimate and a deep connective sex with our wives is how we're supposed to do it. So instead of it doesn't trigger the need for more porn, it satisfies what we're looking for, which a lot of times is intimacy and connection and acceptance. That's ex- that makes perfect sense. You know, and with that too, something you were saying earlier about dealing with stress and things like that. Uh, Annie Grace, she wrote a book called This Naked Mind, which is very influential in me reaching permanent sobriety, along with Ed Lattimore and Phil Foster. Shout mm-hmm. out to those two. That book, she talks about she had to have a drink before she went on stage to calm her nerves. She had to have a drink in social settings to be more you know, sociable. And she realized, you know, you're not supposed to not feel those feelings. You're supposed mm-hmm. to feel nervousness and then learn how to handle it. You're supposed to feel stress and just learn how to deal with stress. And it doesn't have to be numbed away. I right. think with porn, it's very similar. You have right. to learn to flex that muscle. And where somebody like you, you're almost an emotional weightlifting trainer. You know, I have Phil Foster. He teaches me to get jacked by through the weights. You help strengthen those emotional muscles. How to deal with mm-hmm. stress. How to deal with, right. you know, uh, the calling of relapse. How to deal with cravings. How to deal with all these emotional things they'll feel. It's mm-hmm. not that you're not supposed to feel them, but you don't have to run and numb them away via porn. You have right. to learn how to deal with hardship. You have to deal with financial issues, relationship issues, you know, and I think for anybody listening, those things are a part of life. You're supposed to feel stress. You're supposed yeah. to feel anger and sadness. And, and like myself, when I'm my previous self, I'm happy. Let's go drink. I'm sad. Let's go drink. I'm, I'm stressed right. out. Let's go drink. Well, now I just handle it. You know, I'm happy. Right. I'm happy. I'm sad. Okay. I'm sad today. Like it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Stressed out. Cool. We'll figure our way through it. You know, with porn, I don't see any difference there. I think it's no, I completely I completely game. agree. Yeah, it, it it's we use it to numb, we use it to escape. Um, you know, we use it to to cope with things that we just can't deal with. And that's why it's so dangerous with these young men and teenagers 
and even younger than teenagers um, is because they're not learning how to deal with those emotions at the time where their brain is a sponge. And so they're learning in their formative years to use porn to deal with those emotions and to deal with that stress and to deal with that pain. And so they're wiring themselves up in their brain to deal with it using porn. And then they never learn any other way. So when you're 30, 40 years old and trying to break free from that, you're not just breaking bad habits that you picked up five, six, 10 years ago. You're dealing with habits and uh, behaviors that started all the way back when your brain was being formed as a teenager. And that's one reason it's so hard to break free from it. Cause you're not just, like I said before, you're not just breaking bad habits. You're, you're have to rechange and rewire your brain. So do you advise fathers to speak to their kids about porn? And if so, is there an, a, an age range you think they should broach that subject? And yes, I'm asking for myself, but also for my listeners. My son's right. 11, my daughter's eight, and we've not had, you know, the talk. Right. It's never come up, you know, it's, so I'm, I'm, I'm at the fence now that he's, he's almost 12. So I'm, right. I'm at that point and I'm wondering what's the best way to do that without stripping their innocence, if you know what I mean. Right. Whatever age you think is too soon, do it two years sooner than that. No, man, dude, <laughs> that's not what I wanted to hear. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's never too soon because kids are seeing it at a younger and younger and younger age. You know, I wasn't exposed to porn until I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. Kids nowadays are being exposed at eight and nine. And, and if they're seeing it at school, they're seeing it at, with their friends. I and mean, every, every little kid has a phone now. And all you got to do is Google something and there it is. A, a, fr- a, a friend of mine, um, Michael Foster, uh, wrote an article on his site, and I, I shared it on, on mine as well, that says the battle against porn addiction starts with toddlers. Now, that may sound pretty extreme offhand. And he's not saying you should start talking to porn to your three and four-year-old. But where it starts is teaching your kids to deal with things in the right way. It's teaching them to wait till after dinner to get their dessert. It's teaching them that they can't just have anything they want just like that. And that they can't scream and cry and do everything until they get their way. Teaching them discipline, teaching them patience, teaching them delayed gratification. And that starts at that young age. And that falls on the parents. You know, parents who never say no to their kids raise kids who can't say no to themselves. And they just indulge in every pleasure because they were never taught how to delay gratification and seek out what you really want, not just get what you think you need right this second. Well, without getting the answer I wanted, you did, that is an excellent <laughs> answer. No, and, and you're right, brother. You know, you have to stay ahead of it. You've got to stay proactive, not reactive. I certainly want to be the, the introduction to sex, to, to these, you know, heavier right. conversations and, and topics. I don't want them to find out through their friend's house or, have them uncomfortable in a position where they're kind of cornered and exposed to these things. 
you know, unlike many, we, they don't have phones. My son has a phone that he gets when he goes to baseball practice. So he can call me if for whatever reason I'm in traffic or whatever, you know, sure. but then we take it away from him. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't have his own phone for any right. other reason. And it's, that's a part of it, dude, you know, is that it's everywhere. I once streamed, cause we don't have cable. I was streaming an NFL game cause he wanted to watch it. And like one of the ads on the stream, this girl pops up in a G string and I'm like, fuck. And he like looks down and like, so he's aware, like, I'm not supposed to see these girls in like these clothes. And she wasn't naked, right. but it was as close as naked as possible. And I was like, fuck, like, this is a sports thing. And I understand dudes go to sports, but it wasn't like a, a tank top. It was like straight lace, like the smallest thing oh, to yeah. imagine. I'm like, kids are clearly go here. This is a lot of people stream, you know, things because they don't want to pay for it, you know, right. and I, I'm just imagining these young boys seeing that that early. I'm like, God damn, that's yeah. unacceptable. And, and parents need to be that filter. You know, so, so what is your opinion on that though? Filtering uh, electronics, you know, we have a wide array of discussions on that within FOE. You should do it. Mm -hmm. You should trust them, give them that Liberty or monitor every electron that goes onto their phone. Right. Yeah. I I think it starts by starting the conversation early, um, continuing that conversation. You can't hide kids from everything. They're going to see it. There, there is no way that the way our society is today, there's no way you're going to hide it from your kids forever. Um, they're going to have to, they're going to see it and they're going to have to learn how to deal with it at some point. So, you know, start the conversation early, continue having that conversation and, and prepare them for that. So when they are exposed, they're not blindsided by it. They're like, Oh, dad, talk to me about this. I don't want this. I know what can happen here. And then they can, and, and build that relationship up with your son so that when he's exposed to that and have that open two-way conversation so that he'll come to you and talk to you about it instead of hiding it. It used to be you hide the playboy under your bed. Now it's, it's on your phone, but instead of hiding it, he comes to you and says, Hey, this happened. What do I do? Like you would a firearm, you know, gun safety. What do you do if you come across a gun? Things like that. You know, in this case, it's porn. Right. You know, the same thing we had to do, when I was a kid to just say no stuff was big, you know, and we had those conversations. What do you do? What do you do if someone offers you drugs? You know, and that was drilled into us as kids. We were at school. We had to, you know, the just say no and the dare and, you know, all those sorts of things. We need to have that same level of preventative education with porn. And like all topics, it has to come from the parents. This has to come from within the home. Yes, there, there, there should be societal ways to do that. Uh, you know, I really think that should be um, taught in the public schools. And I think the church has a responsibility to do that. But the ultimate responsibility is the parents. And that's where it starts, is with the parents. Tim, honestly, I feel like we could have this discussion for like another four hours. You know, there, there's, <laughs> so, there's layers to this, brother. Yeah. There's so much there to is. it. You know, and I've got a there few is. other, you know, questions in my head, but... I think we'll save that for a part two to this one. Sure. You know, because it's, it's deep brother, you know, and I appreciate the insight really into your journey, journey into, you know, the work you're doing and how you're sharing it. So we will have a part two to this discussion. I'd like to go further into what we're seeing, you know, where it's maybe not expected to be invading like kids shows um, mm-hmm. some, some innocent, you know, YouTube channels that are actually kind sure. of slipping things in. So if you're game, I would love to have Absolutely. you back on to get after it again. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So then for this one, 
if you had, you know, an introductory, uh, someone this just introduced them to like shit, they were talking to me the whole time. Mm-hmm. What would your advice be for anybody listening that's looking to get started on breaking the, the chains of porn around their soul? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my message was to, would be that you can break free from this. You are not too far gone. You're not too broken. You're not too damaged. You're not stuck. You can break free from this. It's not a sentence. It's not a life sentence. It takes hard work. It'll be the hardest damn thing you've ever done in your life. But you can break free from it. If you're willing to put in the work, if you're willing to put in the the effort and have the determination and the perseverance to stick through it and not give up, you can find that freedom. I know it sounds cliche to say, if I can do it, anybody can do it. But that's the truth. Man, I was stuck in this for 15 years and it almost destroyed everything I love. And I thought I was too far gone. I just almost resigned to myself. Well, this is my life and I'm going to lose my wife and I'm, you know, she's going to take my kids and that'll be it. And my life will be over. But you can't lose hope. You can't ever lose hope. And you can't ever give up. So my message is keep fighting. Fight through the relapses. Don't, get, don't throw in the towel when it gets hard. Keep fighting. Keep pushing. You don't lose the battle until you surrender. So never surrender. and Keep fighting. And reach out. You know, reach out to me. Reach out to someone you know, someone you trust. If there's someone, if there's a pastor, if there's a friend, if there's a counselor, if there's just even a a, a, a brother, anyone that you know and trust, reach out to them. Chances are they've been there too, unfortunately. But reach out for help. Take the hand that I'm offering to you to help pull you up and keep fighting. I think that's very well said, you know, and I don't think it's cliche at all to say, you know, if you can do it, others can, because you've been there, man, you've been in that, that abyss. And I know this because when it comes to booze, I've said that a few times and I'm very uncomfortable saying it, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's the truth, dude. I've been in that abyss, you know, I'm at 322 days today and I was speaking to my wife and I was like, babe, like we, so she quit the, the night I quit. Right. And I was like, babe, we're almost at a year. And dude, I got, I got a little choked up saying it because for as confident as I am for all the shit I've faced in life and overcome, I am an incredibly confident dude, but I never, ever thought I would say I'm one year sober or beyond, you know, and obviously the first year is the the greatest, like that's, it's your first year. So after that, like, fuck it, you know, I'll be 15 years and like, that's cool. (laughs) But year one, dude, it's even now I like, I just got chills talking about it. It's such a powerful thing. And you know, for 20 years, dude, I just. I binge drank and that's, that was me. And that was my MO and that was my identity. And now right. it's just gone. And you, and for porn, there's no reason that somebody can't have that same story. And in 322 days from today, Tim, I heard Absolutely. you talking and you fucking inspired me. And like, that could be anybody right now, 322 days from today. That could be you telling us your story. So for right. anybody watching, for all those listening, you know, th- these aren't just, you know, little motivational quotes to put on the poster and hang in your office. That's real life advice that's been lived. That's lived experiences being shared with you. So please, as with all podcasts, take what we've said and don't just listen to it and agree with it and nod your head, but apply it. Apply it to whatever has its chains over you and you will change your life. You are not too far gone. As Tim said, you are not beyond salvage. You can save yourself. You just have to make that choice. 
So Tim, for anybody that wants to work with you or, or get a copy of your book or your course, what's the best way they can connect with you? Best way is to connect with me either through my website, which is into the wildernessblog.com. Um, you can go on there. You can find the links to all my, to my book and my courses on there, as well as you can schedule a coaching session with me right there. Um, I'd be happy to sit down with you. Um, we can discuss what's going on in your life and how one-on-one -on -one coaching might help you break free from it. You can also contact me on Twitter and Instagram. Um, I'm at Timothy Regal, um, T-I-M-O-T-H-Y. My last name's Regal, R-E-I-G-L-E. -E, so at Timothy Regal. Um, feel free to shoot me a DM there. Um, I'm always open, always willing to talk. So uh, don't be afraid to, to reach out for help. Tim, thank you again for coming on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. For everybody who tuned in, this has been another episode on the Family Alpha Podcast. Stay tuned as part two will be coming at you soon enough. Take care. Thanks for listening. You can join our private men's only community at thefraternityofexcellence.com. And don't forget to find Zach on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Zach Small underscore.